I think we like getting advertisements and offers for things that we actually want to understand and know more about. What I didn't want were the ads that came afterwards because I had somehow triggered through my data. That's the push model of marketing. We're talking about the pull model based on what you've said you wanted to understand and know more about for a period of time. Hey there, and welcome to the Leading with Nice interview series. My name is Matthew Ewell, and we want to help you inspire others, build loyalty, and get results. Now, today, I'm super excited to welcome Barbara Talent and Jory Desjardins onto the podcast, and they are with the At Company. And I'm going to let them explain what they do and what they're trying to do, but it's all centered around privacy. And the reason why when this email came across my desk, I jumped on it right away. As you can imagine, you get lots of emails about lots of people that can be on a podcast, but they're not always that exciting. But this one was because at Leading with Nice, one of the core tenets of our values is honesty, trust, gratitude. And the ad company is concerned about those things as well, but through the lens of privacy. And today at your place of employment, you have some level of privacy that you're experiencing. So this is around you. And also when you're at home or doing your own personal things, you're shopping online, you're sharing your data and your information. It's just a thing. So they're doing something very cool in this space. And I wanted to talk to them about it because I think there's real leadership happening from the at company. So uh, Barbara, Jory, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Matthew. Privacy is top of mind, unlike we've seen before. But we know that companies have been keeping track of us for decades, like thinking of loyalty reward cards, credit cards for sure. So why now has this become a hot topic? I think there's a number of things. But if anybody saw the social dilemma, the Netflix docudrama, it really shed light on how that information is being used. We didn't mind giving up that information, but it showed how that information is being used to manipulate you online and get you to do things that you may not otherwise do, stay on uh, social sites much longer than you ever wanted to. So I think that is part of it. I think people just didn't realize how much they were being manipulated by the data they were giving up. Jory, you want to add to that? Yeah, I well, I completely agree with that. I think the social dilemma was a game changer for so many people on the consumer side who were using the platforms, but weren't as grounded in the technology and what was happening with their data. But I also think there's a, a huge wind shift in attitude about privacy. So I, I would say even as little as a few years ago, we look at the last election cycle, Privacy was a nice to have, but it wasn't a must have. This election cycle, I think the public was much more aware of some of the manipulations that can happen. And they started to care more about what was happening with their data, how their data was being used for misinformation. And they started to vote with their feet. Mm. They moved towards other applications that they never thought to even consider before before all of this talk about other platforms, no censorship, no surveillance. I don't even know if people really understood what 
surveillance was from a technical standpoint. I think we think of surveillance as, oh, there's someone listening in on my call. And tech companies can tell you until the day is long that they're not surveilling your calls. But the fact that they have any access at all to the information going from one point to another is a form of surveillance. And the public just became more aware of what what that actually meant. If you haven't seen The Social Dilemma, well, first of all, what have you been doing? It's on Netflix, and I thought we'd all watch the entire library by now. But definitely check it out because it is eye-opening and so well-produced, great storytelling. As we prepared for this conversation, I really dug into like some hardcore data because I wanted to make sure that we weren't just fear-mongering or chicken-littling here where the sky is falling and to see, is this actually happening? So Deloitte released some research in the fall of 2020, and it said that 70% of online shopping carts are abandoned before checkout, and they pointed towards consumers' hesitation of sharing their information with just one more entity. I think the next logical step is people will begin to not just abandon their cart, but they'll say, hmm, how can I actually like clean or kind of get my data back? Do you see this progression as well? Or do you see a different thing happening? I'd love to know. Oh, I think definitely. Um, It turns out that our data is at hundreds, if not a thousand sites on the web. And you just don't think about it. And I think people are starting to think about it now and thinking, you know, who am I giving this data to and and why do they need all this information? And we are seeing some great companies emerge in the space that kind of help you take your data back because at least in California under the CCPA, you can actually go out and ask companies to remove your data. And I know both Canada and the United States are working on legislation in that area as well. So I think we'll soon see that from everybody. And uh, one of the companies in that space is Mine, mine Mine.com. I say Mine.com rather. And they help you go out and find all your data and get it back. People are probably thinking right now of the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the WhatsApps of the world. But there's thousands of companies. And just uh, an interesting thing to do is when you go and look in your browser at your cookies or the data that's been stored is crazy. I know that's just a piece of it. One of the trends we saw around this were actually like online private social clubs and they were becoming more and more popular. Now, before the events in the Washington Capitol, I would have said Parler is a great example of this and it's going to grow and look for it to continue, but it's had its troubles after that. But I'm curious, what's the difference between a platform like a Facebook and a platform like Parler? Like, what's the difference? What what was that trend looking like? Well, politics aside, and, and Parler has seemingly become a, a platform for the far right in, in the U.S., but that said, I think that what it brought to the table and what was appealing to anyone who was a privacy advocate is that it had validated your identity. And I think that the theory... Uh, behind Parler is that if you can prove who you are, you don't need to be surveilled. It's up to the to the people that you're engaging with to decide if they want to hear what you're saying. That's free speech. And I think that this is the, regardless of what kind of content was on Parler, I do think that the next generation of platforms are going to have a very similar agreement with the end user, which is if you can validate who you are, 
you can use this however you choose to. Um, you can also take your data back when you're done. You can also decide, I don't want to engage with this person and decide to move off of the platform. So it's just giving the end user more control over how they're using the platform. Uh, unlike now, where I think you have platforms that are trying to make those decisions for you. And there's been a lot of pressure on Facebook to do that, for example. But many people feel that it's not a choice that should be made on their behalf. I think what Parler demonstrated, and again, nothing to do with the politics or who was using it, but it was definitely a platform that here's a place where you can come and we don't do the same sort of obligatory collection of your data and you do have more control over it. And I could see that, like, obviously there's a user base for that. Mm-hmm. So the at company has a real unique approach to privacy. And let's do a little deep dive here. I want our listeners to know kind of the inspiration behind it and what you're actually doing to address this. And you, the thing, the beauty of it is you're really building community. Like if you go on the website right now, you talk not only about your own organization, but there's also lots of other like-minded organizations listed on your website, which is always a good sign. So tell us all about it. Sure. So today, the way the internet is set up is so that each company has to keep and manage a slice or even large parts of your data. And that data is often duplicate data from site to site. And the companies own it, unless you live in California or Europe or other areas that have declared privacy rights. And every site that you log into has you in your database and tracks you and your data. And so what we are changing is we're creating a different architecture on the internet that lets each person own their own data in their own private database and then grant permission to it. And you can take that permission away even after you've granted it. So it's really easy for you to take your data back. And this is going to happen first with some brand new apps that are being created by developers right now who really care about privacy and want to create something that's very compliant. And the whole idea was um, started with my co-founders, Colin and Kevin, and they they just hated the way this was set up. And it's, it's so funny because this is painful for people who have to give up their data all the time. But it's also painful for companies who want to protect privacy because those companies house all this data. It's a big target because it's it's in one database with one set of keys. And it's also out of date in a lot of cases. So insurance companies and banks actually struggle keeping this information up to date. So nobody really likes the, well, the only people who like the current architecture of the internet are the companies that are monetizing that data. And so there's a lot of people who don't like it. And so we think that everybody will be open to this new way of doing things. Anything you want to add to that, Jory? Well, I think that what you were just saying about companies and liability, tell the story. Companies actually largely don't want the hassle of having to manage user data. They, they need user data to, to be functional, but they don't necessarily want to have to manage it. And it's getting to a point now where it's more of a liability. And especially with laws like CCPA and GDPR, where there's now mandates for how you need to protect. uh, In many ways, they're, they're ahead of where we actually are or have been from a technological standpoint. A lot of companies don't quite know how to be compliant, even though they have to be. So this sort of removes 
a number of headaches, not just for the consumers who want control of their data, but for the companies that have it. So if I can put this in real, like tangible example to help people that may not be quite getting it, the current model that most of us are used to is we make a copy of our driver's license, of our bank information, our address, our friends, our favorite color, all that, make a copy and we give it to the company and they store it in their warehouse. What we're talking about now is that we keep all this information in our own homes and we might give access to company A to come and link into our home, maybe not even forever, maybe forever, but maybe for a certain amount of time or even a time period. And if we decide to not do business with that company anymore, it's our power to cut off that pipe. And that way they don't have access to that information anymore. Is that correct? Exactly right. So think about buying a house and you want to give the bank and the title company access to some of your information for that period of time. So you say, I want you guys to have access for 30 days until this transaction's done. And so that's how our software is designed so that you can say how long that you give people access to your data. So Jory is the CMO at the at company. And so I'm going to speak to Jory and my people. <laughs> Think about that email list you have yes, with an at AOL.com address. Like that probably person's probably moved on. Like just imagine just the little things like that, where you're not having to clean databases and the time that takes up. Oh my gosh, for marketers alone, this would be like, That's I don't right. want, yeah, I don't want your data to be honest, like just for the, the logistical hassle, you know, uh, one of my colleagues here at leading with nice before she worked with us, she worked for a trade publication that served the insurance industry. And one of the big hot topics in insurance is cybersecurity insurance. And these companies that didn't even really like need, like they would need the information from you to open your account or do whatever. But then they didn't really need it after that, but they had it in their database and they were being hacked and having to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to get their data back. And they're like, man, we didn't even need this. Like, it's just big hassle. That's right. You must be hearing this as well. Well, it's funny you mentioned, uh, well, advertising is one of the prime areas that this model will be affecting. And you're absolutely right. I think my mom is the only person left on AOL. Uh, <laughs> she's using dial-up. That's a big win. She's on a 14.4. We might get her 28.8. Yeah. No comment. But that said, <laughs> the thing that, that this model does for the advertising industry. Now, I used to come from media. That was my business model when I was building a, a company in the media space was, of course, advertising. And the idea is, let's get as many ads out to audiences at as high of a price as we could. And we use data to try to qualify those audiences. Great for the publisher. And as Google started to refine its technology and, and Amazon and big tech in general, it became even more and more um, refined and able to pick out the right set of eyeballs for a particular ad. What the new model does is it basically asks for permission to send you information and you have the option of saying yes or no. I think the initial fear is that people will say no all the time, but that's not actually correct. I think we like getting advertisements and offers for yes. things that we actually want to understand and know more about. Yes. I want to know if the product that I'm looking for is for sale and on sale. 
I think I would want to know about a lot of that. And when I was just shopping for a, a new couch, I was happy to get offers on couches. What I didn't want were the ads that came afterwards because I had somehow triggered through my data that I was looking for a couch and for months afterwards would get these ads in everything I did for a couch. That's the push model of marketing. We're talking about the pull model based on what you've said you wanted to understand and know more about for a period of time. Jory, that sound you just heard was people like saying preach sister. Like that is... (laughs) Oh my gosh, for sure. Like, you know, I bought literally in like 2008, I bought a new lamp for a projector, like, you know, LED projector. And I am still to this day getting ads and emails for different light bulbs. And like, how often are you buying these things? I've bought one in 12 years. Like that's how often I'm buying it. Oh, and I've unsubscribed from email newsletters and eventually I just give up and I block and I do this, that. And so they'll never see me again right? They can never now market to me, but I don't necessarily want that because maybe there'll be the day when my projector ball burns out and I'll want that again. And also I just, I want to give it to Jory's mom. Thank you for letting us take a little jab at your AOL account. I don't, I I feel a bit guilty now. I'm thinking, what if my, what if I was laughing about my mom on the podcast? Oh, my mom is quite used to it at this point. She's a good sport. (laughs) Okay. Well, listen, listen, Jory's mom, here's an open invitation for you to be a guest now and jab back, feel free. But, um, so Barbara, like you're, you're a co-founder. So this must have been like, where were you sitting? I'd love to hear kind of the story about the conversation that led to this. Tell me about like where this came from. Yeah. So just to give you a little bit more on my background, I was CEO of one of the very first email marketing software companies. So I was very aware of what, uh, what had become <laughs> from email marketing, which was not what I had thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I had thought it was going to be a great way for companies to reach out to their customers and really give custom offers. And it, instead, it turned into spamming. And I, and I sold that company off and then went off and co-founded an educational startup. I was trying to do good in the world. And it was great. We grew that company to over a million users and uh, it was going along great when I ran into Kevin again. And I, Kevin and I had worked together at multiple companies. We um, did another startup together. And then we also worked at a company that from startup to public. And so he said, I, I want you to go to dinner. It was a dinner that we had. And we all went out to dinner one night. And Kevin explained the vision of what he and Colin had been working on. And I met Colin. And I, I loved Colin as much as I loved Kevin. And so he calls me the next day and says, are you in? <laughs> and I said, sure, I'm in. This, this, is, this has to happen. And if it's not us, it's got to be somebody else. But let's, let's work to make this happen because this is the right way to do things. And then he told me after that that I was going to be the CEO, which I <laughs> had not planned on. But that's okay. <laughs> I didn't know that, Barbara. You didn't know that? No. Yeah, it was, a, it was a fun story. It was magic. It was funny. When I was walking to dinner that night, I, I knew my life was about to change. I could just feel it. Mm. That's very cool. For those of you listening, Barbara Talent with two L's, T-A-L-L-E-N-T, and Jory Desjardins, J-O-R-Y, then D-E-S, then J-R-D-I-N-S. Be like me and go creep them on LinkedIn because they're, A, they share some very cool content, and B, like, man, just like this, 
I like looking at people's LinkedIn because it's not like a typical resume. There's a story to be told. And you can see how people have developed into what they're sharing today. So definitely go and, and creep them now. Check them out. Uh, last question. Because people right now are like, thinking to themselves like, yeah, I do want to own my own data. That sounds, it's mine. So give us some practical steps. I always like to leave people with like practical application. What can they do right now to begin the journey of owning their data and be able to control the tap, so to speak? I'm happy to share some hacks that I've begun. Now I'm a little farther on the spectrum of conversion to owning and controlling my data. I, I will admit that. But for years, I contemplated whether or not it was a good idea to say, stop being on Facebook or mm -hmm. stop using Google. And to be honest, that's not always something that that is accessible to everybody because we're so reliant on big tech. Uh, that said, there are some things you can do to start to protect or at least segment out your data. What I did when I was first starting my journey was I separated out my credit cards and email accounts so that if I was uh, buying things, I kept them and I knew because whenever you buy something, you're on that that email list forever. <laughs> you can't get off that list. Um, I've tried and in some cases I did get off the list, but in many I didn't. So I had a card that was basically built for that. And I had an email address that was built for those kinds of communications. Then I kept my family and friend communications on a totally different email. And I had literally almost two different lives. This is the idea of creating different personas for your different lives. And that way you can start to keep an idea of what is private and what is not. And then eventually when you do make some more uh, dramatic moves towards uh, saying stopping uh, being on a social account or uh, completely cutting off an email that is for all of your more spammier subjects, then, um, then it's not such a hard transition to make. You've already made that split. Yeah, I'd like to add a couple things to that. Um, one is don't use your Facebook account to sign into other things. That is just giving Facebook more data on you. And it's just not the way to go. Also, um, if you want a private app for chatting, Signal's a really good one for that right now. They are uh, a .org and they do not monetize you in any way. And the other thing is come visit us <laughs> at, at sign.com. Sign up for our mailing list because we're always talking about this. And our developers are creating some great apps that are going to really help you own your data. And I just want to give one quick example because this app is coming out pretty soon. And it's the Contacts app. And imagine your current contacts if everybody only updated their own data. <laughs> you didn't have to keep anybody else's data up to date. You always had the latest on everybody. So that's the future. If you go to at sign.com, A-T-S-I-G-N.com, that is the at company. And um, this is where you can learn more about what we've been talking about today. I am super excited about this because again, as Jory, as you described, like I want that personalized marketing, but again, I don't want it for the next 20 years, right? From the same company that, because one time I bought a light bulb. That's right. Like most humans. Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, ladies, this has been so amazing. I know that geeking out about privacy and security may not be, you might be listening right now being like, oh, this is not what, this is 
kind of interesting, trust me, you will find it very interesting. You'll be referencing this in a few months as discussions around privacy are being really pushed by big companies like Apple and then other narratives like from big companies like Facebook are being talked about. There's a few people I need to thank for helping this podcast come together. First, Cindy Craig, who books all these podcasts and makes it happen. Uh, Naomi, who helps come up with these questions and whatnot. Uh, so amazing, does research. Jamie Hunter, who's going to turn this into a great blog post and share it on social. And the guy who makes me, I actually sound very nasally in real life. So Austin Pomeroy, our audio tech, makes me sound like the million dollar voice to say so myself. But Austin does a great job. Thank you to all of them. Barbara, Jory, thank you so much for taking time. I know you're, I know you're busy. So I appreciate you taking time today to speak with us about privacy and how we can control our own data. Thank you so much for having us. That was fun. Thank you. So again, at sign.com, you can link to their other social from there. Have a great day and we will see you at leadingwithnice.com. Mm-hmm.